Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for Dental Law Radio. Dental Law Radio is brought to you by Oberman Law Firm, a leading dental-centric law firm serving dental clients on a local, regional, and national basis. Now, here's your host, Stuart Oberman. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Dental Law Radio. Unbelievable guest speaker today. Unbelievable on the podcast. Danielle McBride, partner in Oberman Law Firm. And little little brief background. Danielle's been practicing for about 21 years. Specialty market is dental law. Mergers, acquisitions, tax, compliance. And we're going to drill down on a, on a couple things today. Uh, I know that Danielle's probably done a couple hundred transactions, if not thousands, um, in her illustrious career. And um, uh, I know she's going to have a lot of insight into this, but I, you know, I, I get this question, um, you know, what, what do I need to consider when preparing for sale? So what I want to do is, Danielle, I, I want to leverage some of your experience here and expertise. And I, I want to run through about five things to consider when preparing your practice, we're talking to a dentist for sale. So get, let, let, let's run through a couple of things. And, and it, it's sort of a reoccurring theme. Our doctors get into trouble. They're not right. prepared. Number one, get, give, give me, give me, give me number one. What, what's the number one issue we, we see um, in, in, in preparing for practice sales that are sometimes problematic? Sure. So number one is uh, the due diligence uh, and getting that in order. And that means understanding the business and your numbers. Um, cash flow or profitability for the for the practice. What what you sometimes hear in DSO uh, language is EBITDA, um, and that's that's the key to um, you know practice valuation and practice transition. Um, you need to you know know your numbers, your discretionary expenses, um, those addbacks uh, in the practice. You need to take a look at your biggest expenses like staff, uh, supplies, laboratory expenses. Um, you know, knowing, um, you know, fee increases, what's your fee schedule? I get, um, you know, we get questions for fee schedule and when's the last time you increased fees on things. Um, and that's, um, you know, that's a, a key thing right now with inflation. Uh, you want to also make sure that you're not letting those fee increases lapse and not doing something from year to year as well to kind of keep up with things. Um, you know, marketing, website, social media stuff, patient numbers, active patients, new patients, um, you know, PPOs and referring doctors, if you're a specialist, all of those um, are due diligence items that are going to be requested by buyers, whether they're private party, uh, you know, individual dentist buyers, uh, or whether they're DSO uh, transactions. And the DSO transactions, they're much heavier on the due diligence. They, they will ask for every piece of paper you could possibly come up with in these transactions. <laughs> Plus. So, you know, so getting those things in order ahead is, is you know, key. I got a question. So, you, pro, you know, profitability and, and, and EBITDAs. And so, look, our doctors run a lot of stuff through their practice that they shouldn't mm-hmm. and they get into trouble and, and it affects mm-hmm. their numbers. What are some of the things that you see before we jump to number two? What are some of the things that you see doctors running through practices that they really need to clean up to get their numbers in order? Sure. A lot of it is things like running office expenses and uh, and personal expenses through the practice. 
Um, and and <laughs> so it's easy to see. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> never happens. <laughs> they don't go to Home Depot and buy toilet paper and paper towels for the office and home. Um, you know, so a lot of times they're running things like that through the practice and they're just they're They don't separate the receipts out. Um, and so it's getting lumped into categories like office expenses or promotional expenses, things like, uh, you know, um, sponsoring some of your kids' events, uh, and you write it off through uh, practice promotion. Um, you know, well, that's pay great your children, when a right? buyer pay your, goes to How do they look. pay their children? What's that? How do they pay their children? Uh, a lot of them pay their children. <laughs> put, put your kids on the payroll. You should be putting them on the payroll as soon as they're old enough, maybe six, seven years old. Have them, you know, reaching the lower filing cabinets or, uh, <laughs> you know, modeling for the website. Um, you know, have them mow the lawn for the, uh, for the practice and, uh, get them IRA contributions. <laughs> That's good. So, That's wow. Yeah. So, uh, you know, kids on the payroll, there's a lot of spouses on the payroll too. And sometimes they're paid, sometimes they're underpaid, uh, sometimes they're overpaid. And, you know, those are things that go into profitability on the practice as well. And you don't necessarily, those are the easy things to see. Um, the harder things are when they're running all this stuff through office expense and they're like, yeah, yeah, $50,000 of it is just me running personal expenses through. Well, that's hard to, that's hard to, you know, for a buyer to accept that. Okay, well, the profitability is really $100,000 higher than what's showing up when I'm looking at your typical ad backs. Yeah. You know, your your promotional, your practice promotion expense, uh, you know, auto, car, uh, meals, uh, travel, continuing ed, uh, you know, staff uh, or family uh, on the payroll, those sort of things. Those are those are all pretty easy to see. It's it's the other things uh, that really need cleaned up sometimes because it's going to be hard to explain to that buyer unless you start showing them all your credit card statements. I, I, I know you made a best friend out of all of the underpaid spouse managers. Yeah. <laughs> you just became a absolute cult hero. I could tell you that. So well that that's good. That's definitely good stuff. That all that all affects the profitability. And we also have seen some audits um, from state and federal mm -hmm. on expenditures that are never good like that. So, uh, right. uh, you know, get, give me, give me number two, get, get, give me number two on uh, things. Number uh, two yeah. is the lease. Um, uh, everyone always forgets about the lease and waits till the last minute. So if you're preparing for a transaction, get your lease out, look at what the terms are, find out if you've got to get consent from your landlord to sell, find out what happens if you're going to get, if you have a personal guarantee on that lease, um, you know, if you're going to assign the lease, if it's a third party landlord, um, you know, make sure that, um, you know, that you've got uh, under, under, under control your lease. Uh, you want to make sure that you know what the terms are. If you're up for a renewal and you're thinking about selling your practice, there are lots of things that you could try to work into that lease with the landlord, um, you know, to try and prepare for a practice sale. Um, you know, perhaps even getting something into the lease saying that you don't need their consent to sell to transition uh, the lease to that buyer uh, if, it, if you're selling your practice. Um you know, there's, I've run across lots of leases over my years with third-party landlords and, you know, it can be a real headache. And that, that is the single biggest reason I get a transaction delayed wow. is that, oh my God, we don't have the lease assignment from the third-party landlord. Now, are, are you seeing, and we're seeing this a little bit coming West to East, are you seeing that um, if, which a landlord does not have to do, 
uh, end the lease early, that they want a percentage of the sale to do that. We're seeing some interesting numbers coming through that. Yeah, I've seen some. It is. It has been more of a West Coast issue that I've seen this in. Um, I mid in Midwest and Northeast, I haven't seen a lot of that with the percentage of the sales. In New York, I have had a few transactions where we've had to try and buy the landlord uh, and essentially pay them something in order to get a seller out of a lease. <laughs> that, um, that's called legal you know, I had robbery. A transaction like that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, the New York leases; they're they're a lot of fun. Let me tell you. <laughs> wow, it, uh, I mean, what, what usually starts in the West comes East, so I think we'll be seeing that yeah. uh, eventually, but. Well, let, let, let's, uh, number three, that, that was a great number two. We got cash flow number sure. one and lease number two. And what, what, what are we looking at? Maybe the third, the third issue. Number three is uh, staffing uh, goodwill transition patient retention issues. So you want to be able to uh, transition the practice well. And some of the key things are not just the doctor transitioning to the new doctor, but also staffing and patient retention. And so a lot of times the goodwill transition is a key component. And sometimes that's where I see negotiations kind of get a little stuck from time to time, is that the buyer wants to make sure that the seller and the staff uh, are going to contribute to the transition and make sure that, um, you know, that the patients can be retained, that there's going to be an introductory letter or um, a letter to referral sources if it's a if it's a, a specialty practice. Introductions maybe with the top five, 10 referral sources, um, you know, making sure that um, the staff is uh, going to stay in the transaction. Um, and that you're not going to lose and have a bunch of staff turnover right at the uh, transition date. And now you've got, you're trying to retain patients, but you've got all new faces in there. What about, what about um, so associate issues? Associate issues as well. That's another key thing in staffing is that if you've got uh, an employment agreement or you have associates working in the practice and you didn't have an employment agreement with them and there are no restrictive covenants, wow. your buyers are going to be coming in and they're going to be asking for those associates to sign contracts. Yep. Um, and if you didn't have one before, you've got nothing to actually assign, which means a new negotiation with uh, that uh, associate and uh, potentially with the buyer. And if they're a key producer in the practice, especially in these big DSO transactions, they're offering this money for the transaction based on key production numbers. And if you've got an associate that is not going to stay with the practice um, or that you can't um, enforce a covenant not to compete for, um, in order to prevent them from competing with uh, with the buyer, um, then you're going to have some things you're going to have to negotiate, and, you're, and it could really create some problems. Now, question for you: when 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 you do your practice valuations, and you do a great job on that, um, does the associate not staying affect the value of the practice when when you're asked to evaluate um, what that practice is worth? Sometimes. Uh, it depends on the circumstances. That's a great of the legal answer. If, yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> a really typical answer. It really depends on facts and circumstances. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the key is going to be whether or not the practice can find a replacement associate easily or whether or not the practice owner or the other doctors working in the practice are able to pick up that profitability. Uh, or to pick up that production from that doctor who's not going to stay. Staff, staff, staff. Wow. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's look at, um, 
Let's look at the number four. Give me, give me, give me the number four. Number four, um, equipment, uh, assets, and curb appeal. Um, and a little bit of this is about allocations as well. You've got goodwill and you've got tangible assets in the practice. And so one of the things, if you're thinking about um, putting your practice on the market, there are some uh, you know, uh, practices out there that maybe they haven't updated with newer equipment or, you know, they've thought about uh, refreshing their waiting room or adding a new, um, you know, adding a CEREC machine or, uh, you know, adding a major piece of equipment and they haven't done it yet. Picking up that um, 179 deduction, right? Yeah, you can get the <laughs> 179 deduction so you can buy it and you can write it off all in the same year, um, you know, and you know, in part, that's a buyer, in part, it's a seller problem, in part, it's a buyer problem. And so there's a little bit of a fine line you walk between um, whether or not you go ahead and make some of those um, improvements to make the practice more attractive to a buyer, or you say, I don't want to invest in a lot of super new technology and go into debt just to be able to make the practice. I'll take that into account when I value the practice. Um, you know, I'm going to look at what the equipment is and how much it's valued there. If the practice is not, uh, say they don't have electronic records, um, <laughs> everything's still on paper yeah. in boxes and wow. computer systems haven't been upgraded. There are some minimum requirements for computer systems to be upgraded that most buyers are going to ask. Um, and so those are things that are going to go into negotiating uh, the ultimate purchase price that a buyer is going to be willing to pay. Now, some of it's a seller's problem. Some of it's a buyer's problem. If you want to be super fancy and buy all the latest and greatest technology, buyer, go ahead. That's not That doesn't mean I don't have a practice that's fully capable of supporting you working in it. And you can make whatever changes you want to make on your dime. Um, you know, but there are some things that a seller might want to do just to make things a little more attractive for a buyer. Well, you know, and then, uh, um, I, it's, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, you, you know, we had, uh, um, Dr. Richard, uh, met out on, uh, a couple, couple episodes ago and, you know, he, he had a good, uh, good talk about, uh, uh, you know, doctors buying equipment and profitability and doesn't right. need that. And. That was that was interesting an analogy and how how that just compared to what you said regarding sure. um, don't go into debt to yeah, make yeah. it don't There's, go into debt to make it appealable I, 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 uh, I, I, or I, attractive I, to a buyer. But there are some things that you could do, um, yeah. you know, especially if you're looking right. at a year or two out from a practice sale and you know making a few revisions here or there. You can write these things off, uh, you know, one seventy nine depreciation deductions, bonus depreciation, etc. So. That's yeah. I mean, that's that's that that's that is practical, practical advice. Which a lot of times I think doctors are, are missing from the advisor standpoint. Let, let, let's talk about you know, a number. You know, the, the last number five, and these get a little sticky in the contract areas. Also, it's you know yes. these. <laughs> this is where sort of the, uh, the 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 rubber hits the road. And, and talk about it a number a number a number five on some of these. So number five is my accounts receivable, prepaid accounts, patient credits, and uh, treatment in progress. Yeah. Now, there is no one size fits all on any of those. And often, um, you know, often they wait 
uh, until the last minute to to look at these. Oh, I'll get you there's I'll get you this report. Oh, I'll look and see. Or, you know, they run the report and they don't pay attention to it. <laughs> Famous last um, words. You know, some, <laughs> yeah. I mean, patient credits um, in particular, your accounts receivable aging. You may have things that are sitting on the report if you haven't cleaned up your collections. Uh, if you haven't cleaned up your patient credits, um, those are all things that can go into, uh, you know, the ultimate, uh, you know, purchase price. If uh, someone's going to purchase your accounts receivable and take over the practice and then your prepaid accounts, and it, it can vary based on specialty. Obviously, in orthodontic um, practices, you've got long-term contracts mm. with um, payments that may have been paid in full, contracts paid in full at the start of treatment, but you've got a buyer that's doing you know, say you had a bunch of patients pay uh, right before the closing, you got all the money, but the buyer's going to get, you know, seller got all the money, but buyer's now going to have to do all of the work uh, to finish those patients. And so there oftentimes has to be some sort of adjustment to price or proration on uh, on prepaid contracts. And there can be other specialties as well, or even general practices that maybe do some, um, you know, particular restorative type work or something that will have treatment in progress and prepaid uh, treatment that is, um, you know, long-term patient uh, treatment planning, where you've got courses of treatment that last for multiple appointments over a longer period of time with maybe episodes of healing required in between. And you've got, you know, someone who's got a $10,000 case that's being paid, you know, uh, you know, on a monthly basis, because that's the arrangement they entered into with with the doctor there. And their treatment is, maybe a quarter of the way done. Um, you know, you've got to, you've got to actually think about those things. And oftentimes we add exhibits to the contract, um, that will list patient credits, patient refunds having to be made prior to closing, um, you know, prepaid, uh, cases being prorated between buyer and seller. Do, do you have to give special progress list being done? Do you have to give special consideration in contracts when you have that seller who's leaving and, and you've got, you know, op- op- you know, open cases or what happens if you got, you know, a hundred patients come back from faulty work. What, right. what, what, what happens, what happens with that? Right. And that's where we have provisions in our contracts that usually deal with what happens if there's effective work or rework. And can the buyer, you know, as a seller, you don't want the buyer to just say, well, I have to redo all of this work and now you owe me this money. And it goes on indefinitely. Mm -hmm. There are time limitations that should be put in. There are requirements. There are parameters that should be set. And this is all based on the facts and circumstances of the practice. You may have some practices where this isn't a problem because you don't have um, patients that are, um, you know, that are not paying uh, when they receive their treatment. Danielle, that great, great, great stuff about the the, the patient credits. Uh, One thing, and and redos, one thing I want to do is I want you to elaborate a little bit more on the contract side um, as far as what happens when, you know, you've got a doctor that maybe is selling, sticking around for a year or two. I mean, you mentioned earlier about limits in contracts and redos. Elaborate just a little bit more on that contract provision. Um, what should be on there to limit the, the seller's liabilities going forward? Sure. I mean, the seller should limit the liability going forward based on you know some parameters for patients. You can't just have patients who have not been seen in the practice for the last 
you know, year uh, coming in to have rework done or having the buyer not consult you about rework before they uh, before they agree to retreat a patient and then charge you for uh, the, you know, charge you for the fee to redo the work on that patient. Uh, Sometimes I see caps or limits set. I mean, generally speaking, accounts receivable, patient credits, they all should be reviewed and wrapped up in your your records. Your accounts receivable and credits should be cleaned up prior to a sale. You want to make sure that you don't have long outstanding credits there. Maybe there are patients that you don't even have in the practice any longer. Um, you know, some, a lot of practices are in the habit of not cleaning those up on an annual basis. Um, so clean those patient credits up because you're going to have to pay them off. Generally, a buyer will ask for them to be paid off prior to closing. The DSOs also take that into account when they're, uh, when they're factoring in, uh, you know, expenses to be paid and uh, credits if they're going to be assumed. You don't want to be giving the, the buyer money that's never gonna that's never gonna come in yeah that's well, interesting for every for 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 50 dso's you'll have 50 ways of calculating all this that's amazing yes. well i i tell you that that is five five great things to consider um when, when you're preparing your practice for sale and all these I, you know all these are obviously a moving target as as the as the transition takes place i mean these these are just moving moving targets and there's constant adjustments well Daniel, amazing, amazing stuff as always. Um, just again, five topics that our doctors just have to consider um, on any transaction. Also, you know, honestly, uh, we this can be applied to any business list listeners also on, on what they're looking at. You know, whether it's right. just the AR or you know cash flows, profitability. So really, everything you've talked about, um, you know, today and in previous podcasts. I mean, any any business owner really could use. So amazing stuff. Well, um, great job, Danielle. Thank you very much. And um, uh, as always, uh, amazing knowledge. And we uh, really enjoyed having you uh, on the uh, podcast today. And, and um, I know our listeners did. So, uh, well, with that, sure. with that, we will um, uh, call it a day, as we say. Uh, if you um, have any questions, please feel free to give us a call. 770-886-2400. Danielle, how do they get in touch with you if they want to uh, send you an email or request some information? They can uh, They can send me an email. They can call the corporate number. They can also send me an email at danielle at obermanlaw.com. Good, good. Yeah, numbers uh, 770-886-2400. Uh, my name is Stuart Oberman. Uh, it is uh, stuart at obermanlaw.com. Thank you for listening, and uh, we appreciate it, and uh, have a fantastic day.